RUF, we believe that you are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And what that means is that we are all about God's grace shown in Jesus. We think that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important thing that you need to deal with. And that's what RUF is all about. So some of you, as I'm even talking about Jesus, some of you might love Jesus. You might have come from a church background, or maybe um, you've just recently come to love Jesus. Others of you might find him interesting, or maybe even compelling. Some of you might find him frustrating at times. And others of you just, you don't know. You're not sure what you think of this guy. But wherever you are, I'm really glad you're here. RUF is a place for everyone where no matter what your questions are, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief to unbelief, we want to be a safe place for you. And I also recognize, I want to name on the front end, right? There's a little bit of a tendency, like kind of first large group of the year, uh, first, you know, school's just kicked off to just be like, all right, this is awesome. Everyone's excited to be here. I just want to name a fact that this is a little different than all of us were expecting for the beginning of the year, isn't it? Things are a little weird. And so just as we said that it's safe to, to be like kind of regardless of where you are with Jesus, uh, whether you're fully on board with him or you're unsure, I just want to say wherever you're at emotionally right now, just know it's okay. You don't have to be like super jacked up. It's okay if you're scared. It's okay if you're worried. Part of Jason and I's job is to just get coffee and get to know you guys. I would love to hear how you're doing. Because frankly, I've been very frustrated at times with how things are going. And it's been really hard. And so I can't imagine what it's like for you guys, especially those of you who are on campus, like just for the first time, might have had this crazy expectation of what college is going to be like. This, this can be really tough. So I just want you to know we're committed to being here with you. RUF is going to be a thing regardless of what happens. But I just wanted to kind of name that on the front end, that it's okay, kind of regardless of where you're at. So every semester in RUF, uh, we get together on Thursday nights for large group. That's what you're here at. Uh, we sing some songs, and then we hear a message from the Bible. And each semester, we pick a theme or a series to go through. And this semester, we're going to be going through the parables of Jesus in a uh, series called The Storyteller. And what's a parable? A parable is basically, it's a story that has a point. A story with some sort of uh, kind of like theological uh, meaning about God's significance. You see, Jesus was a teacher who illustrated his points. And many of you at the beginning of the school year, you're interacting with teachers who, who might tell a story to get a point across. Uh, for instance, one of the kind of most memorable things that I've ever been told, my dad, uh, I'm prone to, to like kind of being an anxious worrier. And I, you know, have, I get overwhelmed, all sorts of stuff. And my dad would always say to me, Thomas, how do you eat an elephant? And I'm just like, what, what does that have to do with anything? He says, one bite at a time. See, what my dad's doing, my dad was not telling me how I should actually physically eat an elephant. What my dad is doing is using a parable. He's using a story to illustrate a point to me. And the point is this. If you're overwhelmed with what you're doing, then you should just do the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. See, this is how parables work. This is how stories work. See, most teachers tell stories to kind of clear up muddy points. But that's where Jesus' stories are actually a little bit different. Jesus' stories kind of work in the opposite direction. Whereas most, most teachers use stories to clarify, Jesus uses stories to kind of frustrate us, to, to make us understand that we don't actually understand. 
One commentator said, Jesus' stories are more about upsetting our understanding rather than confirming it. And why would he do that? Why would Jesus upset our understanding? Because Jesus was a master teacher. And he understood that if we're going to actually have a chance of understanding who he is, we need to come to face with the fact that we don't know who he is. We don't know what he was about. And so from this place of having our understanding upset, Jesus teaches us what it truly means to follow him and to live in his kingdom. So tonight we're going to be looking at one of the most popular parables, uh, one that is commonly called the prodigal son. I mean, this one, maybe even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you, you might have heard of this one. Just big picture, it, kind of, it tells the story of a man who had a son who ran away from home, and then the father welcomes him back home. And so the story is about the prodigal, meaning the reckless, the reckless son who went away from home, and then the father who welcomed him back. And that's generally what we talk about when we talk about this story. But actually, that, that's probably not the best name for this story. It should really be called the two lost sons. Because this story is about two sons and their father. And it's about two sons who are lost. It's not just one. You see, these, it's, the story is about these two lost sons and their pursuit of the good life. Their pursuit of the good life. Uh, maybe you're an Office fan like me. I hope you are. It's a great show. Uh, Dwight Schrute, character on there. It's kind of a weird guy. But uh, what, what I mean by the good life and what these brothers are after is what Dwight Schrute calls... Perfektenschlag. Perfektenschlag. What it just means is when everything in your life is going right. You have uh, great friendships, great relationships. You have the perfect job. The good life. It's what we're all after. We all want to be happy. We all want to get to a point in our lives and just say, Perfektenschlag. We all want to be satisfied. And so the story is about these two lost sons and their ways of trying to make the good life happen. So the younger son goes the route of self-indulgence. He just does whatever he wants. And the older son goes the route of self-restraint. The younger son breaks all the rules. The older son keeps all the rules. The younger son goes to Vegas. The older son stays home and goes to church. The younger son watches Game of Thrones. The older watches Veggie Tales. And what Jesus is saying in this story is that both of these ways won't bring you to the good life. Jesus is saying both of these are wrong. In fact, if you want the good life, the only way is through me. So Jesus is directing us to himself. And we're going to be looking at this story for the next two weeks, but tonight we're just going to look at the first part of the story. We're going to look at the younger son who tries to get the good life by doing whatever he wants. So if you're a note taker, I'm just going to have two points for us. First is the way of doing whatever we want, and second, an invitation to the good life. So let me pray for us, and we can just go ahead and get started. Our Father, we thank you for this time that we can get together. Lord, we do thank you for being in person. As I think about it, the last time we gathered together for a large group was in March, and so much has happened since then. There's been so much grief. Um, so much that has just changed. And Lord, you are good through it all. And you've been walking through it with us all, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Especially as we just, we may be thinking, some of us might be here thinking, I don't even know if classes are going to be in person. I don't know if if this is going to be taken away at any moment. Lord, I just pray that you would meet us where we are 
that you would meet us where we are and that you would show us the good news from your word. You would open our eyes that we might behold you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the way of doing whatever we want. Let's kind of set the stage a little bit um, in this passage. If you would, look with me to verses 11 and 12. So it says, There was a man with two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So this story is basically, it's set in kind of a, a, a patriarch who has this beautiful land. He has, he's, we're kind of to expect that he's a rich guy. At this, he has two sons, and these two sons would have inherited all that was his whenever he died. But there's kind of a, a wrinkle in the story from the get-go. There's this bold request, right? The younger son says to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And this is a, this is a crazy request for a lot of reasons. First off, family was everything in this culture. That was your primary identity. And what this guy is essentially saying to his father is, listen, dad, I don't want anything to do with you. I just want your money. You don't say that in a culture where family is everything and not expect consequences. But not only that, uh, for his father to give him what was his, his share, he would have had to sell off a lot of his property. Because it wasn't like the, guy, the dad just had a big bank account with all of his money. Actually, it was invested in the land, something that we can kind of understand here in Nebraska a little bit. Land was everything. And then even more than that, the younger son was not the primary inheritor. If a father at this time had two sons, the oldest son would have gotten two-thirds, and the youngest son would have gotten one-third. And this younger son is just like, well, I don't care about any of that. I wish you were dead, and I just want what's coming to me. I want your money. You see, this, this younger son, he, he deserves to be written out of the will. And in fact, there was a ceremony in, in Jewish times where if there was a father who was disrespected by his son, there was like a protocol for that. You would bring him out in public and like publicly shame him just for a son disrespecting his father. So that's what we have going on here. We have this bold request. But then we see in verse 12, the father divides the property. If it's shocking that the younger son made this request, it's even more shocking that any sort of like man or landowner from this time would say, okay, have it your way, son. And we see this is a big deal. When it says property, the word there is bios, which means life. He didn't just divide his money. He divided everything that he had, and he gave it to his son. This would have entailed all sorts of land holdings, crops, all of that. It wasn't a simple bank transfer. And what does the kid do? When he gets the money, we see, he, I mean, he essentially goes to Vegas. See in verse 13 that he gathers all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what does the son do? Basically, he gets his dad's money and he goes and parties his brains out. Does whatever he wants to. But then predictably, it doesn't end so well. In verse 14, it says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So this younger son who had all this money has just blown straight through it. He has nothing to his name. He's in a foreign country and then a disaster hits. You got to imagine what this is like for this kid. It would be a bit like if you were in New York City and you didn't know anyone and then COVID-19 hits. It's just like, what do you do? The kid has no relationships. He has no one to help him. He hits absolute rock bottom. And we see this in verses 15 to 16. 
Because he's uh, in such need, he hires himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and the guy sends him out on his farm to work with his pigs, and you might be thinking, oh, well, see, he was partying. He realized that he needed to be a productive member of society, so he hires himself out to this farmer. Not so fast. What this would have been for the original audience, when they hear this, they, they would have thought this guy has completely lost his dignity because he was feeding pigs. In Jewish culture, which would have been the people who were originally reading this, they would have known that if someone has hired themselves out to feed pigs, that like that is unclean on top of unclean. The person has completely lost their dignity. So we see here, we kind of see a riches to rags story developing in this first part of the story. So what is Jesus showing us through this? I think Jesus is showing us two things. First, he's showing us what sin is. What sin is. What do you think of when you hear the word sin? I know I think of like those ads on TV. They're like, it's sinfully delicious, right? I just recently uh, came across an article. Um, maybe my econ majors, where my econ majors at? Yeah, we got one there. One up there, I think. Yeah, right there. Okay. Uh, there's a thing called sin stock. You heard of this? Okay, sin stock. Sin stock is a publicly traded stock uh, for like an unethical or immoral thing. So you're thinking like maybe an alcohol company, a gambling company, firearms, cannabis, whatever. That's what a sin stock is. And this kind of shows us what our culture's view of sin is, right? On some level, we think that sin is something that is just culturally taboo. Like it's something that, you know, okay, we all do, but just don't talk about it. You don't want to align yourself publicly with it. And what Jesus is saying, Jesus is not saying that that's what sin is here. Think about this story. What, what makes the son's actions so terrible? It's not the fact that he goes off and he parties. Sure, that's part of it. But what really makes the son so terrible here is the rejection of his father. And you see from the way that the father responds that he loves this child. He lets him go. He honors his request. You see, Jesus is showing us that this is fundamentally what all sin is. All sin is fundamentally a rejection of God as our father. Sin is us saying to God, I know better than you. Sin is us trying to be God. So Jesus is showing us what sin is, but he's also showing us what sin does. We notice the way that kind of this, this little story arc ends for this, for this kid. He's saying that sin does to us what it does to this son. Sin does to us. The, the son ends this part of the story broke. He has no money. He's lost his dignity. He's ashamed. And then it says no one gave him anything. He's utterly alone. What Jesus is saying is that is what sin does for us. It can't deliver on what it promises. And that's see, that's a bigger definition of sin than we might be comfortable with. It's definitely a bigger definition than I'm comfortable with. If sin was just simply like, okay, uh, you know, make sure you don't do the wrong things, right? There's, there's a list of things that you shouldn't do. There's a list of things you should do. You should just do the good things. That's not what sin is. Jesus is not saying here, listen, guys, don't do alcohol, okay? As long as you don't do alcohol, you'll be fine. No, what Jesus is saying is that sin is a rejection from the heart of God as father. It is looking at God and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. And you see, that, that broadens the definition of sin because that includes us all. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Every single one of us should be able to relate to this younger son. But thankfully, that's not where the story ends. Second, we're going to look at this. uh, There's an invitation to the good life here. If you would look with me to verse 17. So this son, he's hit rock bottom. And then in verse verse 17, he kind of realizes it. It says, but when he came to himself, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So what we see at the beginning of this, the son kind of, he owns his failure. He recognizes that he has completely lost everything. He recognizes that he has rejected his father. And then he hatches a plan in verses 18 to 19. He he basically decides he's going to go to his father and he's going to say, all right, I messed up. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. It's a pretty good plan, right? He owns what he did wrong, and he's going to come back, and he's going to work as one of his father's hired servants. And essentially what he's saying is, listen, I know that sonship, that ship has sailed. I can never be your son again. I have done too much. There's nothing that I could do to be your son again. But maybe, just maybe, I could work for you, and I could start to pay back some of my debt, and then I could be worthy of your love in some way, shape, or form. So he owns his failure, he hatches his plan, he decides that he's going to go back home. And so he goes back home, and what happens? We see at the beginning of verse 20, it says, He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Y'all, this is the most shocking verse of this whole thing right here, because this is not a thing that men of this status would ever do for anyone especially not for their son who has told them, I I wish you were dead and who reeks of unclean animals. What do we see? I mean, we see the father, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that tell you? It tells you the father was looking for him. He was looking for his son who said, I wish you were dead. But not only does he see him, it says he felt compassion. In the original language, what it says is that his, his like bowels moved towards him. He, 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 was, he felt for him. He moved towards him. And then he ran and embraced him. And that word for embraced is actually used to kind of refer to attacking someone. So like his dad embraces him and like kind of gives him like a kissy attack situation here. Like this is not a thing that, that like a dignified like patriarch would have done at this time. And yet we see this father doing that here. But he doesn't just do that. You see, he comes up to his son, and his son starts saying this rehearsed apology, saying, Father, I'm unworthy. And then it's as if the father says to him, none of that. We'll have none of that. And he says to his servants, bring him a robe, bring him a ring, put shoes on his feet. What's he doing? He's restoring his son. He's saying to him, no, you're not going to be a hired servant. You're going to be my son, because that's who you are. He welcomes him back. But not only that, we see in verses 23 and 24, he he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. I want you to just kind of notice the irony of this here. So this story, we see the younger kid, he runs away because he wants to go and party. It goes terrible. His father welcomes him back and throws him a party. How beautiful is that? What he was looking for out there, he actually had that in his father's house all alone. He just didn't know it. 
And I think what Jesus is showing us here, he is showing us what grace is. See, every week at RUF, we say you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And this story is an illustration of that point. This is what it means. You see, God's posture towards you in your sin, in your rejection of him and trying to be him is one of grace. He doesn't need you to clean yourself up to come to him. You have nothing to offer him, and that's okay. Listen, God desires to throw you a party because of who he is, not because of what you've done or what you haven't done, because of who he is. You see, grace is deserving punishment, but being given the good life. Grace is a free gift. But not only do we see what grace is, we see here what grace does. How does this part of the story end? We see a newly restored son and a party. You see, the father doesn't condemn his son for partying. You would expect if a son was welcomed back, you're like, all right, I'm going to restore you to sonship, but this is kind of like a 90-day trial period situation, and we're just going to make sure you don't mess up again. No, what does he do? He throws a party because he says, my son who was dead is alive again. God welcomes him. God welcomes all of us into the party this way. You see, the good life that the son was longing for, it was found in his father's house. And grace is not just God forgiving our sins and giving us a new start with a promise that we're going to do better next time. Grace is God restoring us to his family and throwing us a party. See, we don't have to make up for our sins. We can rejoice and receive the good life as a gift. So when I was in uh, when I was in high school, I went to a party um, that was pretty amazing. It was a wedding, and it was the nicest wedding that I have ever been to, like in my entire life. And let me let me set the stage for you. So this wedding was in Lexington, Kentucky. Have any of y'all been to Lexington, Kentucky? Anyone? It's a very nice place. It's very clean, very nice. So this this wedding was at a horse farm in Kentucky. And when you hear horse farm, you may be tempted to think like barn that smells. Uh, that's not a horse farm in Lexington, Kentucky. Horse farms in Lexington, Kentucky are bougie, like nice. So this horse farm had this just like amazing like dance floor like in the middle of this barn. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And so the wedding, when you get there, it has this, it has a cocktail hour with a completely open bar. If you're of age, it's a cool thing, right? But not just that, I think the, mo- the single most baller detail of this entire wedding is they had a cigar roller. Like, there was a guy there rolling cigars and just handing them to you. It's just like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And then the food was exquisite, right? It was most weddings you go to, it's like, well, you know, chicken or steak, or they have like a buffet. This one, there was a guy wearing gloves came up and set down chicken and steak on my plate. I'm just like, all right, man, like, I guess this is heaven. It's amazing. There was also a live band flown in from Atlanta. Uh, The former Secretary of Defense was there, randomly. See, this is the best party that I have ever been to, and it was totally and completely free for everyone in attendance. Except for one guy. was the host. The father of the bride. He must have shelled out, I mean, at least $75,000 for this wedding. But the party was free for everyone else. Everyone else was welcome. It didn't matter what. All it matters is if you were brought in, you could enjoy every single thing there. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the Christian life. 
The Christian life is not you need to just do enough and God's going to love you. The Christian life is God is going to throw a party for you. Are you coming? You're invited. It doesn't matter what you've done or you haven't done. It doesn't matter if you've broken all the rules or if you kept all the rules. It has nothing to do with that. You are welcomed, celebrated, and loved and invited in. But see, but while it's not completely, it's completely free for us, it was actually infinitely costly for God for you to be brought in that, into this party. You see, we're, we're welcomed into this party only because of Jesus. We are welcomed in because of Jesus. Every sin, every way that we have tried to be God was laid upon Jesus so that we can be welcomed in. Jesus became broke so that we might know the wealth of the Father's love. Jesus took our shame so that we could know the dignity of being children of God. Jesus took the alienation that our sin deserved so that God could throw us a party. See, friends, the way to the good life is not through breaking all the rules or it's not through keeping all the rules, which we're going to talk about next week. Jesus is the way to the good life, and he invites you. And who wouldn't want that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, in Jesus, you do invite us to the good life. We thank you that um, no matter what we've done or no matter what we have left undone, Lord, you you love us and you sent Jesus to take our sin and to give us new life. I don't know where everybody's at in this room. Some of us maybe um, can relate to this younger son. We might be shocked by some of the things that we've done. We might be so ashamed. But Lord, I just pray that we would see something of the the joyous celebration that your kingdom is. Lord, you don't want us to, to beat ourselves up or clean ourselves up before coming to you. You want us to run to you. So I pray that you would help us all to run to you, even when we're confronted with our own sin. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to try something a little new. Can I get that slide, Joel? Um, it's coming, I think. Uh, there's, there's one that says doxology on it. That's my boy. All right, so uh, the word doxology, it just means to praise, okay? So historically, Christians have understood that our theology, that is what we learn about God, should lead us to doxology, which is praise. And so we're going to start a new practice at RUF each week where after we hear the word preached, after we hear something of who God is, we're going to respond together in praise. And so we're going to sing a historic Christian song called the doxology. I'm going to lead us off. I'm not a great singer, so I would really love it if you would join together with me. Okay, we're going to put the words up there. Can you, next slide? All right, we're going to do this. It's going to be great. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.